So we are learning uh, Daf Nun. We're starting from a couple lines down. We're going to be continuing to talk about Tanoim, who were very impoverished. Yesterday we were talking about uh, Rabbi Yehuda. We spoke about right at the end that there was a miracle because he didn't have a coat. He wasn't able to go to Rabbi Gamliel's uh, attending, attending the to attend Rabbi Gamliel's tefillah for the rain. Eventually, the agent of Rabbi Gamliel came and he asked him why, and he he picked up um, he picked up part of the mat that he was sitting on. There were all these golden coins which miraculously appeared under him. And he said, look, you know, if I'd want to benefit from what Hashem is sending me, I have plenty. But uh, I don't want it. It's not my desire. So the Gemara talks about other sacrifices from poverty from other Tanam now. The daughter of Barkaba Savua was one of the richest men in Jerusalem. So the Gemara elsewhere talks about that. He was called in Kabbalah Savua because anyone who walked into his home hungry like a dog walked out satiated, full. Then Kalbo came out Savua. So his daughter uh, marries Rabbi Akiva. And it's pretty impressive that it's like that because in the background to the story, which is not here in the Dharma, but the background of Rabbi Nassim Ksubis, the Gemara tells us, is that basically he was totally ignorant. Rabbi Akiva didn't know anything. And she betrothed him and she said, listen, if I get betrothed to you, are you going to go learn? You know, basically, that's why that's what she said. Are you going to go learn Torah? And he, they, they, he, had, he wanted to do that, and that's, that's, why they got in, that's why they got married. Shabbat Barakabha Sabuah, and Barakabha Sabuah hears about this, he got very upset. According to the Gemara, he even threw her out. Threw her out, Mamash, you know, not, nothing to do with you anymore. Adri Hanami Kol But here, specifically to us, the, the Iker is that he made a neder. The vow, he said, is that you can't get, you can't benefit from any of the possessions. And he meant the whole, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole entity, the whole couple, you know, can't, can't benefit as well. And uh, he was trying to force them to get divorced so that you know, he can get his daughter back and get rid of Rabbi Akiva. But Azam and what happened? She went and she actually married him. So meaning until now, all she had done was get betrothed. She had done Kedushin. Now she actually goes forward with it and she's living together with Rabbi Akiva and she gets married to him. The Gemara mentions that it was Besivsa, Besivva, which means that it was in the winter. They were so poor, they didn't have any mattresses, beds to sleep on, so they slept in the straw. Min Mazaya, Rabbi Akiva would take away the straw from her hair, meaning to say that it was like, you know, that was, she'd walk around, she had pieces of straw in her hair because they were, she was sleeping in it. Rabbi Akiva would pick the straw out of her hair. So Amadai he said to her, if I would have, I would instead of, you know, having this hair, having your hair fill of, of straw and having me having to pick it out, I would put a beautiful golden ornament called the Yushalayim of gold. So the Mishnah and Shabbos discusses this. It was like the most exquisite, most expensive piece of jewelry known in the times of the Mishnah. And it was like, a, it, was a, it was a bar of gold, but it had the shape of Yerushalayim. It looked like Yerushalayim. So he was saying, you know, if only I could buy you a diamond necklace. That's basically what he's saying. Also, Yo comes, Idmilon Kanasha. He appears to them like he's a regular, like a regular person. He can't tell, they can't tell he's Eliyahu Nabi. The Kakari Ababa, he calls out at the door, by the door of their little straw house. So Elio says, I will report to Tivna, can I, Elio says, can I have a little straw? My wife just gave birth and I, she doesn't have anything to lie down. In other words, she's lying down only on the hard ground and it would be nice for her to be more comfortable if she had some straw to lie down. So can I borrow some straw? He asked for the couple. Amala Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva said to his wife, he says, look, look how much we can be comforted. You know, we're complaining we don't have maybe bed. There are other people who don't even have straw. So Yohan Avi was said to make them like feel better about their, their impoverished situation. Amrle, she continues, she says to him, still have a bit rough. Now it's time, right? It's time for you to go learn. 
So also Tartish Sri Shinin Kamidu Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shua. He goes to the Yeshiva for twelve years, and the two teachers are Rabbi Eliezer, that's Rabbi Eliezer Morkinis, and uh, and Rabbi Yeshua. Those are his Talmidim. The Mishlam Tartish Sri Shinin. After twelve years, calls to the base. He comes, returns home. Shalom and Achari base. He hears from outside his house. To come al Khad Rosh Litvitsu, there was one wicked person who was speaking to his wife, and he was saying, What your father did was right. It was it made sense that, that he's trying to get Rabbi Akiva away from you. First of all, your husband is not like you, and he's not equal to you. He doesn't come from uh, the prestige that you come from. He's already left you living like a widow for all these years. So meaning to say, it's one thing you love the guy and you have a great life with him, so even though you're poor, you know you sacrifice. But you're not living with him, right? The guy's been missing for, 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 for all these years, for 12 years. So what, you're basically like a widow anyway. So Amalashi answered, he saw us, let you leave. He would listen to me. He would go back to the yeshiva. He'd be in the yeshiva for another 12 years. So as he's about to come in and greet his wife after 12 years, she's saying, he hears her expressing that for up to her, there would be another 12 years where he'd be in the yeshiva. So Amar Rabbi Akiva said, since she gave me this permission, it's obviously divine that I should hear that. So let me just go back. Although he turned around and went back. So that's right away. The 12 years turned into 24. So now another 12 years passed. Very famous idea. It's that he didn't, it's Mashmah the Gemara that he didn't, uh, he didn't interrupt. It's just that he didn't go home, say hi, and then go back. It sounds like he was outside the home. He heard this. He took it as a sign. And he went right back without coming in. And the idea is that like, the, the uninterrupted study was, was, was the power. He used to say, he writes in there, you know, the line is 12 plus 12 is not 24. You need 24. That was his, uh, his famous idea from the Gemara. Okay, so also, Pastor Rabban Alfin Zuge Talmide, he returns after another 12 years. And this time, he's got 24,000 students with him. Now, there's a big question in the Gears in the Gemara. Is it 12,000 pairs of students, or is it, meaning 24,000, 12,000 pairs? Our Lashon HaGemara seems to say it was 24,000 pairs, which would mean it would be 48,000, right? So that's a big question in the gear. So how many students did Rabbi Akiva really have? Everybody goes out to greet him, right? He's a, he's a new celebrity. His wife also wants to go, wants to go see him. The wicked person says, says, where would you be going? And the question that he's saying is, that uh, it's hard to tell from our gear, but when this appears in Ksubis, the Gemara's Mashmah, that in other words, she didn't have any clothing that was appropriate to go, you know, meet a great person. She had like tad, tattered, worn clothing. So Amalashi said, A righteous person knows his own animal souls. So what that basically means to say is that Rabbi Akiva wasn't going to look down at her in any way because of her clothing. He understood everything. He under, it, was, it, was, it was what his life was. So she comes and she wants to be seen. So come out to the Rabbanon. The Rabbanon were pushing her away, meaning like they, they were too busy with conversing with Rabbi Akiva. Amadon, Rabbi Akiva said, let her be. You know, I, she deserves the respect. And he says the famous line, because all of what is mine and what is yours is really hers. What does that mean to say? All the Torah that I've amassed, all the Torah that I've been able to teach you, is really all credit to her. So therefore, you know, you have to give her the respect. What's the end of the story? Shama Barakaba Sabuah. Barakaba Sabuah hears that a great person comes to town. See, he didn't realize that it was his own son-in-law and that it was the person that he had vowed to have nothing to do with. And now he realizes how bad this is and he wants to have the nether annulled. So also, Shalom Nizri, he comes and he asks that the, the, the nether be removed. 
so that the couple can benefit from his property. He was released, and therefore Rabbi Akiva was permitted to benefit from the estate. And there, Rabbi Akiva actually ended up um, becoming very, very, very rich off of that. We'll talk about. But just one thing, very famous. We're on here a little bit with Taisus and Kubas. I used to have a Rebbe who would say this in the beginning of every Zman. Every Zman is uh, the introduction, like a little chizuk about what it means to be in Yeshiva and to learn. So the, the big question is that we're going to learn coming up in, in the Dharam that even though you could use an opening to be Matar and Nadir, you can't be Matar and Nadir for no reason, right? You have to have an opening. You have to have something where the person can say, new information, it comes to light. Right? And, and I wasn't thinking about that at the time they made a nether. And had I been thinking about it, then I never would have said it. So basically what you're doing is you're finding some sort of mistake in the original intent of the person who makes a nether. That's the way it works. You know, I didn't realize it was going to be so hard. I didn't, something like that. However, the law is in post can be no lie. You're not allowed to use something which you, it was like a new thing that occurred out of left field that no one would ever have thought about at the time of the nether. That's not a good pesach. Because the whole point of the Pesach is, I didn't think it through well enough. Had I thought it through better and thought about the foreseeable, let's say, hardships or, or difficulties I would encounter in fulfilling this nether, I never would have made the nether. That's a good nether. That's a good Pesach. But if it's some new wacky thing that comes out of left field that no one would ever think of happening, so that's not a good Pesach. Because you can't say, had I been thinking about this, I wouldn't have made the nether. Because had you been thinking about it, you would have dismissed it and said, it's never going to happen. Why should that stop me from making the nether? So here, put yourself in Ben Kabbalah Savu's shoes. He's saying that, the, that, that, that his wife cannot, and Rabbi Akiva cannot benefit from his property. Somebody would say to him at that time, if you know Rabbi Akiva might become the greatest Tamachacham of the generation, are you sure you want to do it? What would he say? He would, he would hear that. He would know and say, but that's the most unlikely thing I've ever heard. The guy can barely know an Allah from a base. He's not going to become the next Tamachacham. How can that even be possible? So, so if that's true, so it, should, it seems to be a textbook no lad. And if it's a nolad, a new thing that occurs, then you can't use that as a Pesach. So how, in fact, was he able to be Matar Nether? This is what the Rishonim struggle with. So there are different approaches. The Ran says that he only made the Nether, and he basically was saying only because Rabbi Akiva doesn't know anything. But he would be okay if Rabbi Akiva would know something. So Rabbi Akiva doesn't have to become, you know, the greatest Torah scholar. It's just that Rabbi Akiva has to know something, and then he wouldn't have made the Nether. So then that's obviously not a Pesach, not, not, not a nolad. That's pretty, and a person can learn a few things, big deal. But Tosas and Ksuba takes it much further. Tosas and Ksuba seems to understand that really he was making the Nadar. He thought Rabbi Kiva wouldn't be great in learning. And it was about becoming a big Tamachacha. But Tosas says an unbelievable thing. Tosas says that if a person takes off time and doesn't work and goes to the yeshiva and devotes time to learning, it is a natural phenomenon. It's not a weird thing. It's not a bizarre thing. It's a natural thing that they're going to become great in Torah. And therefore, it wasn't considered a no-lot at all. It was a very natural way of life. If he simply would go to the yeshiva and learn and, 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 and study, then, then it could very well be that he would become a huge tamachah. So in other words, in the perspective, I think it's just like such an interesting chizik is that when you're, like, you're trying to like, follow through and decide it sometimes, you know, in learning, it's like, how much of a difference is it going to make? I'll go to that chair, hear that thing, whatever. There, there, there's something absolutely natural about putting in the time to learning that you really grow from it and you learn a lot. And you, and you become, become much more knowledgeable. And, and it's possible you don't know what levels you can reach. And therefore, it wasn't, it wasn't a no-lot at all for, for Ben Kabbalah Savua. And that's why his, his nether became mother. Okay. So here we go. Now the Gemara says there was actually six sources of how Rabbi Akiva became wealthy. The first one is what we just said, in Kabbalah Savua, right? His father-in-law left him a lot of money. From the ayal. So ayal is like a deer, a male deer. 
Um, so if there was a there was a, a a deer on the ship. What in the world is that? So the Gemara explains the Every ship there was something that looked like a deer, meaning it was like a good superstitious sort of thing. I don't fully understand, but just one thing is that the ships were always dangerous. You're out at sea, right? The voyage is dangerous. The weather, this that. So they had a lot of superstition. So what they used to put it was like a figure on the on the top of the ship. And the figure was like a male deer. There was one time where the sailors forgot this figure, the figure of this of the deer, back at back at the at the, at the seashore. Also, who actually Kiva comes along and he finds it, and um, evidently it was it was it was a very 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 like you know precious precious sort of thing. So it was a sort of charm that they were hoping, and they would fill it. The Ron as they used to fill this charm. It wasn't that the charm itself was worth so much? They used to fill the charm with golden coins. I don't know. That was their charm. That was the good luck. And Rabbi Akiva, uh, Rabbi Akiva was the one who found it. Now Rabbi showed him say that really the Mar is leaving out the detail of the story. The story is that he tried to return it to the sailors, and the sailors were like so impressed that some Jew, you know, had come that they said, you know what, you can just keep the whole thing. That's the biggest, you know, superstitious thing that we need for our boat is that we gave the rabbi the, all the golden coins that he came to return that he found in our, in our charm. All right, number three, Min Gavza, there was a certain treasure chest. What's the treasure chest? This is in the Chaldea of Abraham, what happens where Bikiva gave four zuz to some sailors. Amalu, he said, bring me something. It sounds like he's saying like, here, here's four zuz. Give me, exchange this for, give me something of value. They found nothing except for some chest that was on the seashore. So they brought it to him in exchange for his money. So Amalei said, Avin Marana Allah, why don't you use this? So they, here's a box. It was filled with golden coins. So it's very hard to understand how they didn't know it was filled with the golden coins. And the Farshim explained it was like a metal box. So it had, you know, significant weight. Still hard to understand, but the miraculously was filled up with these, um, with golden coins. And Rikiva got rich off of that. And the Gemara says how it happened that the coins got in there. The Zimnachal, the Thomas Vinod, happened once that there was a ship from the, for the certain traders of the Arabs, the Arab traders, and it sunk. All the profits that they had been making were put into that chest. They kept it there. And then it, all that remained until it was found by the sailors. So the sailors didn't know what they were finding. They gave it to Rabbi Kiva and it's got all, the, all of it. Then the Gemara tells us the fourth source of his wealth in Matronisa from a noble woman. Now the Gemara doesn't tell us what the story is. So the Ron fills in the gaps here. The, the Rabbi Kiva and his students needed money, so they wanted a loan from a noble woman. She said she would lend them the money. She said, you'll borrow it. And he, she said that Hashem will be the guarantor on the loan. So Rabbi Akiva agreed. And there was a time when he was supposed to pay it back, but she lived far away. She would, Rabbi Akiva would have to travel by boat to pay her back. And it happens to be Rabbi Akiva got sick on the day that he was planning on travel. So what happened is, is that the noble woman goes out to Shemaim and she says, you know, what happened is that Rabbi Akiva was sick and he wasn't able to pay. Hashem, you're the guarantor on the loan. So pay me back. And what happened was a, fate, a very interesting thing. The Caesar had a daughter that was some sort of insanity, and she took a ton of golden coins and she just started throwing them into the sea. And the sea swept all the golden coins to where the noble woman was, and the noble woman was repaid by Hashem for all, with all this gold. Rabbi Kiva didn't know of this miracle, so the next day he was feeling better. He traveled to her and he paid her back. And she said, she said, no, 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 Hashem's already taken care of it and I've gotten so much excess. And here she showers him with, with a bunch of money. So bottom line is, Rabbi Kiva got rich off that story. Ahmed Beis, here we go. From the wife of Tornus. 
So this is one of the governors, the Roman governors in this time. And actually, this is one of the governors who tries to kill Rabbi Akiva. Remember, this is one of the times, the very dangerous times. So basically, the Ron says over here that there was, um, Rabbi Akiva used to debate uh, with Tornus Rufus, who was the governor in front of the, the Roman Caesar. And every time he would, he would, he would defeat Tornus Rufus and humiliate him, look, make him look bad. And, he, and his wife was, was, was kind of trying to protect Tornus Rufus. And she said as follows. She said, you know what? Let me go try to seduce Rabbi Akiva and I'll get him to sin. And if he sins, you know, then it will be the end of him and God. It's not going to work anymore. So, so that's what happened. She tried to seduce Rabbi Akiva. And what happened was, is that, you know, obviously Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva didn't go for it. So then what, 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 what eventually she marries him. And this was a wild thing. She was so moved by the fact that she couldn't seduce Rabbi Akiva that she marries him. She converts and marries him and she brought all this wealth. I don't know, evidently she had access to a lot of cash as the governor of Rome. And uh, Rabbi Akiva gets wealthy, wealthy from that. And what's the last thing? I mean, Ketiyah Bar Shalom, the story of Ketiyah Bar Shalom. So you might know this story a little bit more from Avodazar if you ever learned it. But basically, the Caesar wanted to, um, to kill, the, Ro- the Roman Caesar wanted to kill the Jews. And there was one Roman guy, uh, an advisor of the Caesar, this guy, Ketiyah Bar Shalom, who said, you know what? It's not worth it. The Jews don't kill them. They're not so bad. And he basically wanted to kill Ketiyah Bar Shalom. He went to execute him. As Ketiyah Bar Shalom was a very wealthy man, he was one of the, you know, the cabinet members of the Caesar. And as Ketiyah Bar Shalom was being taken out to be executed, someone said, look, listen, you're about to be executed because you're giving up your life for the Jews. You may as well convert and be a Jew, right? So in the last moment, he says, he, he gets himself a bris milah, and he circumcises and he tries to make himself as Jewish as possible. And his, as he's being taken out, he says, all my money should go to the Jewish rabbis. So Rabbi Akiva got access to all that cash. Those are the six sources of Rabbi Akiva's wealth. Says the Gemara, another similar story of Gamda, Yav, Abazuza, Safuna, of Gamda. Namor one time gave four Zuzim to the sailors, Asibun Midam, and to exchange for something. I think the idea is that the sailors, like they always had like import, export, they always were coming back with like cool tchotchkes from overseas. So that's why, you know, you give four, four you know, what, what can I get from my four Zuz over here? So they didn't find anything. So Kupa, instead, they brought a monkey, a kof, a monkey. And they, they gave it to him, but as they were bringing it, the monkey runs away. All the kharva, the, 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 the monkey runs to a hole. They dig after the monkey. They try to find him. It was sitting and crouching over precious diamonds, pearls. I do know the Kula, and therefore they brought all the pearls to Rav Ganda. They weren't necessarily obligated to do so. He was only, you know, the monkey. It wasn't, it wasn't even his monkey at the time. But it was the Mishur Sadin that they did that. You know, that, just to show that obviously the monkey was, was on Rav Ganda's side over here. Interesting story. Okay. So we spoke about the noble woman. So now the Gemara is going to tell us some more stuff about these noble women. These noble women were, they, they weren't necessarily like enemies of the Jews, but they were always kind of like, there's a tension, you know, between the Jews and these noble women. So Mar says, The daughter of the Caesar once said to Rabbi Shua How could beautiful Torah be in an ugly vessel? What was he saying? She was saying that Rabbi Yeshua, you look horrible. You look impoverished. You look stop ugly. So what's pshat that Hashem would make the beautiful Torah be, home, be housed, like be held in such a disgusting kli like you? So Amalah, he responded, what are you talking about? Go look at your father's household and you'll understand the answer. Where do they store the wine? In the earthenware jugs, right? We store the wine there. 
barrels. Amalai, he said, I don't understand. Everybody else uses earthenware, but you're the royal family. Why are you using earthenware? You should put the wine in gold and silver and metals. So she went, she goes home, she tries it out. Sorry, what happened? It all spoiled because wine needs to be kept in earthenware. So Amalai Shuvachananya said, Afarize again. The same thing is too with Torah. It's actually better preserved because I don't look good, because it's a, it's a simple, humble clean. So the, the, the very interesting lesson, but the, the daughter still asks, there are people who look good who are learned. You don't, we see that empirically, what you're saying isn't true because we see that there are people who don't look good and still are to me the Chachamim. So Amalai Rabbi Shuva responded, if they were ugly, having Gemirin's faith, they would be even more learned, meaning it's not a proof what you're saying. They're learned despite the fact that they, that, they, that they look good. But certainly the way it goes is that being ugly makes it better to retain, retain your Torah knowledge. And as that basic idea is that it's all about you know, humility. Says the Gemara, there was a woman from Nadal who came in front of the court of Rabbi Yehuda to be judged. She was found liable. So Amalei, she was very upset about the decision. So she said to Rabbi Yehuda, your teacher have judged me in this way. So that's a very disrespectful thing to say to the judge. So Amalai, he said, Yadisbe, what, you knew Shmuel Amalai? And she said, yes. Goods of a rabbi crazy, who can be rabbi shine? He was short, he had a big pop belly, dark skin, and his teeth were long. So Amalai reviewed and said, the Vazuyikaz is what? You've come just to say bad things about Shmuel. Tevi is Abishansa. This woman should be excommunicated. Paco, Mesa, and she bursts, and she just dies on the spot for uh, being Mavaza. Being Mavaza, Tabuchacham, is very, very severe. Okay. Continues the Gemara, we were talking about cooked food, right? Tavshel. So we said Tavshel is things that are eaten with bread. So we said that like a thick porridge, you're not also to. So now we say also you're allowed to eat our termita egg. So what's the termita egg? My base of termita, Amar Shmuel, a slave that knows how to, how to prepare it is worth a thousand gold dinners. Meaning to say there's an amazing difficult preparation, but it's not common to know how to do it. So if you get a slave who knows how to do it, then you should pay a thousand dinners for such a slave. What do you do? The, the slave puts the egg in a thousand times in hot water. in my career, then a thousand times in cold water. It gets, mama shrinks, it gets tiny. And it can be swallowed without chewing it at all. You can just simply swallow it right away. Then what happens? There's any like... Um, pain in the person's body, it will, it, it, it like sticks to the egg. It's like very interesting scientific like idea that there's some sort of illness in the body. And when this tiny little egg is swallowed and it's going to pass through the, the digestive system, all the illness, some like residue of it will cling to the egg. The Kanavka of Asya, when the egg passes, right, it comes out so they can examine it. The doctors can look at it. And the doctor can look at this egg that passes through the system and know what the patient needs and how you can heal. So it's pretty incredible. It's like a magic egg. It's got like the, you can get a feel for what the illness is. So it's like the closest thing I have to like, you know, like an x-ray or an MRI to see what's inside the body. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Says the Gemara, Shmuel used to examine himself with the kulcha. Ron says he doesn't know what the kulcha is, but it's certainly not the egg, but it's another sort of thing that you swallow and pass. But it was very painful. What happened was he would faint afterwards and all the people in his house would, would, 
would, would, would, would, would they're literally like the women of the house, their hair would braid, but they would undo their braids, meaning they would start mourning. They would start being nervous that he was dying. They were so distressed every time he would faint after having this kulcha thing. Okay, so now we spoke about an, a servant that is very valuable if he knows how to prepare this egg. So the Gemara says, awesome. we learned in a Mishnah there, a Mishnah Maestro. So basically the rule is that when you're working in a field, you're harvesting things. So as a, as a worker, you have a right to enjoy what you're working with. A very interesting principle in the Torah. So if you're plucking grapes, you have the right to eat grapes as you're working. So the Mishnah says, I also and if the field worker is working with the klufsin, which is a type of figs, he can't eat a different type of fig, meaning you you can only stick to exactly what you're working with. Benosheva, if you're working with the Benosheva figs, you can't eat the klufsin figs. Says my klufsin, what are the klufsin? It's a type of fig. You're able to make a lot of cooked fig dishes with it. There was once a man who sent his servant to his friend. He wanted to learn how to make the 1,000 different types of cooked fish dishes. So he sends his slave to go learn from, it, from a certain expert 1,000 different ways of making figs. His friend only taught the slave 800 different variations. So the servant's master sent his friend to judgment in front of Rebbe. I sent my slave to you and I paid you to teach my slave 1,000 different types of dishes and you only taught him 800. So give me my money back. You still owe me uh, 200 more types of teachings. Rebbe is judging this case. Our forefather said we have forgotten luxury, meaning they complained that they, don't, they lost luxury. We have never even seen luxury. Meaning where Rebbe was so like blown away is this, that there's a thousand different types of cooked fig dishes. He's basically saying like, we have no clue, you know, what, 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 what that even means. You know, we, we don't even think we know luxury. It's like you have today. I think it's an amazing thing, right? There's, there's literally a dish of like, it's, it's coming like, I don't know, common, but you'll start seeing a wet. Like I saw at a wedding recently, very fancy restaurants also, you'll have like cooked uh, figs, mamish cooked figs. I was thinking about this Gemara. And it's got wrapped with turkey on the outside. And on the inside, you got ground beef. And there's clean on the outside. And you eat this thing, and you're like, what is this? It's delicious, but you're like, what is this? Not much reminiscent of the Gemara. Imagine like your grandparents, if someone were to tell them that you're going to go to a shmore and there's going to be a cooked dish with turkey, and you'd be like, what is that? You're like, it's not even like, you're like, we don't even know luxury. Like, we don't even, that's like a little bit reminiscent of the Gemara. It's like, it's incredible, but it, it reflects on how far, you know, like the cuisine has come, that there's such things that, that we're able to taste. So that was what Rebbe was blown away by. So now the Gemara tells us more about Rebbe's wealth and his extravagance. Rebbe, I'll be honest with you, this is one of the most difficult stories uh, to process here. Rebbe makes a wedding. For who? Reb Shimon. For his son, Reb Shimon. Barkapra was not invited. Okay, here's, you have to figure that out. Barkapra was not invited. So Barkapra was very insulted. So he wrote, he like took his spray paint and he draws the graffiti all over the wedding hall, you know? So he writes on the wall, $240 million dinrim were spent on this wedding. But you couldn't invite Barkapara. That's what he wrote on the wedding hall. So Amalek Barkapara said to Rebbe, Im Hashem, he was like upset at Rebbe. So he's saying, you don't do the Ratzon Hashem, Rebbe. And, and, and Hashem gives you so much wealth. How much more so is Hashem going to give wealth to the people who honor his will? That's a very, almost seems like a very disrespectful thing to say to Rebbe. Rebbe did invite Barakapar in the end. Now gave him a bracha. He said, This is the reward 
for people to perform what Hashem wants in this world, then all much more so in the world to come, how much you're going to get. Yom Adochai by Rebbe, and any day the Gemara says that Rebbe would laugh. Bad things would happen in the world. Rebbe was the leader of the people, and he would be distracted. If he would be in a light mood, he would be distracted from the seriousness and the severity of what it meant to be the leader of the Jewish people. So if Rebbe would laugh, bad things would happen. So I'm going to look Rebbe says, and my Barakafer was a very funny person. So Rebbe says, don't make me laugh. If you don't make me laugh, I'll pay you with 40 different measures of meat, of wheat. Meaning to say, I'll pay you. Just make sure you don't make me laugh. Amalei Bar said, fine, no problem. So he said, I'm going to take as much as I want. That's what he said. I'm not going to do it, but I'll take as much as I want. Rebbe took a big basket. He coated it with like a, a tar to make sure that there was no holes or cracks in the basket. He turns it over on his head. He takes a basket, flips it over his head, and he wears it on the top of his head. He goes to Rebbe, and he says, Can you give to me the 40 measures of wheat which you owe me? So what's funny is that there's, I mean, the joke here is, is that he's got this large basket, but if it's overturned on his head, then you can't put all the wheat in it. That's the, that's the joke. And he's like wearing, wearing the, 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 the basket here backwards. So Achor Rebbe, Rebbe laughed at the scene. So Amalei Rebbe said, loads of Atchan, I already told you, nobody make you laugh. In other words, everything was good. I said I would pay you 40 zut, the 40 wheat measures, but then Lamaisi, you made me laugh, so now you don't get anything. So Amalei Bar said, I'm just taking the wheat that I have a claim on. So meaning to say, he's like, he's like making his joke stronger. He's saying, I really came to collect the 40 measures, but now I did it, I turned the, back, the basket upside down, so I flipped it. So the 40 measures I was going to collect, I flipped on my head, and now I get nothing. And that was all part of the joke. So he's like reinforcing the joke, and that's the end of the story. Very bizarre sort of uh, point that Bar is doing. It seems obviously there's a deeper meaning in whether Rebbe was supposed to be serious or light. And Bar held that Rebbe was supposed to be light, and Rebbe, and, and Rebbe held otherwise.